0: now the sermon will be brought to us today by our pastor, Lawrence Gregory, entitled, The World. In Isaiah, the 34th chapter, verse 1, we read, Come now, you nations, to hear and hearken, you people let the earth here and all that is therein the world and all things that come forth of it skipping down a few verses in verse 5 for my sword is shall be bathed in heaven behold it shall come down upon Edomia and upon the people of my curse to judgment and of course Edomia is the Edomites who is the modern day turkey and there's other Information about that we've covered in the past about their treachery and double-cross to Israel and how God sends punishment upon that nation. We've discussed that in the past and maybe we'll do so again in the future. But this word world, what does that mean to us? What do we understand from that large word, world, and that's what Steve said before services to me, you picked a big subject, it is. And in the short time that I have here today, I hope that we can have a few points that will give us some better understanding of the world as God sees it and as He uses it in the description in the Bible and in the current present time. In John, the third chapter, verse 16, we read what Jesus said in John 3:16, for God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And then in verse 18, verse 19, And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. And then in First John, the second chapter, we read in verse 15, 1 John 2:15. we're told, Love not the world. But Jesus said that God so loved the world. But we're told, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so we see here a contrast. One is God's love, and the other is man's love. So let's uh, consider this a little bit. And we we heard some humorous things from Barnabas in the uh, announcement period from the internet of Things that kids have written and described from their youthful observation of the expression of love in their parents and and some humorous things, but uh, God's love and man's love is contrasted in the Scripture. God's love and man's love. So let's consider a few things. Number one, God's love is perfect, a sacrificial giving, holy love, unaffected by the negative pollutions of this world. His love is as a creator, as a ruler, and a judge of the destiny of this earth and its inhabitants. Contrast and contrary to that, many times man's love is imperfect. Many times it's mixed with selfishness, a self-centered weakness, expressed and affected in negative ways of this world. The world pulls a man down, deteriorates his character. We just read about how the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and these things attract a person of the things that are going on in to society. In 1 John the, uh, no, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians here. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians 4, four. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine, shine into it. And in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, if you can keep up with me a little bit, um, verse uh, 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, we see from other scriptures also that this is a physical earth. And the physical things in this earth are going to pass away, and they're going to be changed, and we'll be seeing more of those uh, scriptures. If we can look in 1 Corinthians, back up to the 7th chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31 And and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passes away. But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world. How he may please his wife. Now God is not condemning a person for being married. In fact, he upholds and approves that and says it's a good thing for a man to have a wife. But we know in life how that a person that is uh, married is concerned about the things of a house and a job and money and utensils and furnishings and keeping things to please the wife. His interests are in those things where a single person may not have that much of an interest. It seems like doesn't it? When you get married, you start collecting things. When you're single, you don't have hardly anything. When you're married, you get an attic, you get a full, you get a basement, you get a full, you get a house, you get cars, you get all these things, all these commitments, and you do that you know, in a right way. You use the things, but our point is not to abuse it, but to use it. Take those things that are necessary, a house, food, clothing, shelter, a job. You know, we don't want to go around naked. We want to look nice in our attire. But what is the object? What is the purpose? What is the the outreach of our love? Is it to please self or is it to please our wife and to please others? Now there's a lot more that can be said about that but uh, we'll just hasten on here. I wanted to give us some help in understanding these things by giving us a uh, breakdown of some of the scriptural uses there are five different words basically in the Old Testament and four in the New Testament, Four Hebrew wor- five Hebrew words and four Greek, w- yeah, four Greek words that is translated in the English word world. And it is also translated in other words that uh, we may just touch on briefly. But I wanted to uh, tell us that as we go through here, there are about, 300 English references to the word world. And like Steve said, that's a fast subject. That's a a big subject. And so we're only going to briefly cover a few points today. So bear with me for time's sake here. Now, the first way that I want to cover is uh, the use of the scriptures in the word world as the planet or as the earth itself as the world, we understand this world, this globe, this planet, this earth and uh, there are Hebrew words, let me uh, uh, share those with you here, five Hebrew words first the word that is used most commonly from the Hebrew is number 80, I'm going to use Strong's Exhaustive Concordance reference numbers 8398 is the word tabel and this means moist, the globe its inhabitants, the land, it's, it's the world itself and all the things that consist in it. Then the next word that's used most uh, uh, second commonly is uh, 5769, Olam, and it means out of mind, eternity, long-lasting, without end. The third word is Shaled, 2465, and this is used uh, two times. It means age, a short time, Life transient, glide away. Compared to a Greek word we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. Another word is number 776, which is used uh, about four times in the word world, but it's used a number of times in the word earth, because that's what it is. It's the earth itself, the land, the country, the ground, the world, the nations, the wilderness. It's a description of this planet that we call earth the world. We understand, well, sometimes when we're talking about the world, we're talking about different things. And another one is, "kadel." it's used one time, and this is the state of the dead, the rest, or the world. So, the Greek words now, uh, let me uh, give you those. The most commonly used Greek word that is uh, most commonly used out of those 300 references is the word "cosmos." We understand that it means the orderly arrangement, the adorning, the humans, the society. When we talk about cosmos, we're talking about the society, the inhabitants, the adorning, the beautification from the inhabitants of this earth. The next thing is the word number 165, is the word aeon. And this means age, eternal, forever, perpetuity. And so sometimes you see the word uh, in the English, ages without end, it's from the Greek word aeon. And so sometimes when we see the world, the world, that word means eternity or an age. And so there's an age or ages, an age now, and an age in the future, forever. So there are ages, different ages, and the scriptures verify and show that. Another Greek word is number 3625, the third one, is... um, if I can pronounce this correctly, oikomene, oikomene. And it means land, globe, earth. And when this was used in the early writings uh, of the um, Bible writers, a lot of their understanding of the inhabitants of this planet was limited to a few nations or a few countries and a few inhabitants surrounding them. So it has a, a limited uh, application there, but it's basically talking about this earth, this land, this globe, this earth, oikomene. And then uh, the fourth Greek word is uh, number 1093, G, G, G E. ge, ge. And uh, last night and this morning, I was looking in the dictionary, and I was uh, uh, intrigued by the English use of these words as a prefix to words uh, in our English word starting with G-E. And this word uh, from the Greek means soil, region, occupants, land, earth, world, country. It's a reference to this planet, to this earth, to this country itself. Now, uh, I wrote down here, if I can read in my small printing uh, from the dictionary, some of these words that start with G-E. And some of them I never heard before or had not focused on or uh, thought about. And I might say this, Reggie, being a more mathematician and scientist and physicist, may know some of these words. Uh, We talk about geocentric, we understand that, the center of the earth, the figure of the earth. Uh, Geology, we talk about that, we understand that. But geognosy and uh, geodony, if I'm pronouncing these correctly, uh, we understand geometry. A geodome, we understand that. We understand geology. We understand geography. That has to do with this planet. Now, some of these words that I, that I didn't pronounce and didn't write down, if you go and look in the dictionary, it has to do with the mathematics, with the understanding of the sphere, of the crust of the earth, of the materials of the earth, the science of the study of the composite materials of this earth. This is... A description of what we read in the English when we read sometimes in the New Testament, the word "world" is talking about this. Sometimes it's talking about the age. Sometimes it's talking about the inhabitants. Sometimes it's talking about the planet itself, or more specific references. Sometimes to the inhabitants, to the society, to the things that are going on in this world. Now, let's uh, let's go back to uh, the Bible and look. On, we've Rather than just focusing on all of these uh, words separately, they're, they're kind of mixed up a little bit here, but back in Genesis, the first chapter in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then in verse 30, we also read, uh, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so, so here the same word earth is translated from irets that is also translated as world. So that word is interchangeable and we have different, from the Hebrew, different English words. And so we understand it. It makes it an interesting study when we start looking at this. In Ecclesiastes, the uh, third chapter, verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3, 11, God, it says, he, God, he, has made everything beautiful in His time. Remember when He created the heavens and the earth? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And when He made man, behold, it's very good. So everything that God did, He made beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end, I know that there is no good in them, in man, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labors. It is the gift of God." So, God originally made things good, Now, but we look at diseases, we look at germs, we look at uh, the things that have taken uh, storms and, and things that rage on this earth, and we say, how can that be good? when we look at and consider God's overall plan and His purpose and the things that He's done out of love, then even allowing, even allowing the negative things in life has been, for His purpose, has been good. So basically, God has set in man's heart the desire f- to prolong his life, to, to live forever. Now, a lot of folks don't have this. They want to just die and that would be the end of it. But a lot of folks think, even though they don't understand the perspective that we have from the scripture of the resurrections and the time plan and the purpose of God and how he's working this out and these different resurrections and covering over 7,000 years of his plan and purpose, they don't understand all that. But they want to live forever. They have maybe a partial religious point of view that they can... Live in another life, in another existence, or come back in this life, and uh, all kinds of uh, weird scenarios that people have, but there's a hope and a desire in the human being to pr- prolong that life and to uh, continue to uh, live out that life. And so God has put that in their heart. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 1 4, back out just a little bit here, it says, that uh, one generation passes away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. And in uh, Psalm 104, God laid the foundations of the earth, that it should not be removed forever. So what I was showing here, we'll explain some of this later, some of these uh, English words for earth are the same Hebrew word that we have uh, numbered as world. And so, one day in Hebrews... Now, let's go to the New Testament here. uh, In Hebrews, the first chapter, and verse 10 and 12. Hebrews 1, 10 and 12. And you, Lord in the beginning have laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands they shall perish but you remain and they all shall wax old as does a garment and as a vesture shall they shall you fold them up and they shall be changed but you are the same and your years shall not fail and so in the future this earth is going to be folded up it's going to be changed and his word tells us in many other scriptures that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new time and a new age. Ages without end. Ages in perpetuity. Age unending. And so every human being who lives on this earth today is going to have to make a choice. I've told you this before. We know from the scripture. They're going to have to choose either to die forever ages without end and perpetuity, into blackness and darkness where there's no thought, no life, nothing. They cease to exist. Or they can have life eternal, unending, with God and in His purpose and plan and whatever marvelous and wonderful thing we don't even know, we can't even imagine what's in the future for them who are able to share in that glory that God has prepared. He has some great master plan. We We don't fully understand. We we have a little inkling. We know we'll be together with God and serving and love and, and expressing and, and uh, doing something wonderful and good and true without sin and without weakness, without sin and sickness and all the fleshly, physical impurities and the things that we have to deal with as a spirit being with God forever. It's going to be wonderful and beautiful. So that's, that's going to be in the future, in Second Peter, the third chapter. Those of you who have been reading through the Bible for many years, sharpening your sword, know these uh, scriptures already and uh, are just uh, challenging and beautiful and interesting. Uh, 2 Peter, the third chapter, verse 5 through 7. For they, no, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world, the earth and the world, that then was being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and a perdition of ungodly men. And uh, in Isaiah the 65th chapter, Isaiah 65, And verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not come into remembrance, nor come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people, a joy. And in chapter 66, verse 22, Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. What a wonderful promise. God says, here, I wrote down a number of other scriptures I didn't give to... Brian, and you're familiar with all these and I won't take time to give all the references but just listen to this. The earth and the world is the Lord's. The world is mine. They are not of the world as I am not of the world, Jesus said. How shall God judge the world? He shall judge the world in righteousness. Many deceivers are entered into the world. Satan deceiveth the whole world. Whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's strong. Talks about the world to come. This world passes away. The old world. Jesus said, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world. I have overcome the world. We overcome the world through our faith and our belief in Him. We are to be overcomers like He is, an over, that He was an overcomer and has inherited that eternal glory now. In Revelation 21, last chapter, next to the last chapter in the Scriptures, Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And we've explained that. This world is going to pass away in the future. It's going to be changed into a new world. Do we love this world? Well, God loves this world, but He tells us, not to love this world. So what's the difference? Do we love it as God loves or do we love it as carnality, humans love the world, the things this planet, the society, the land, the inhabitants the things that are going on, all of these things. Do we love our house, our car more than we love God? Are we willing to give up? I had one man talking to me earlier and said, you know, as time goes on and all the aggravations in the world is getting worse and worse and as he getting older, uh, it's looking uh, like maybe uh, more attractive to not be here any longer. <laughs> uh, and w- w- we understood he wasn't meaning to hasten, he wasn't going to hasten his life, but the things of the allurements of the world, the adornments, mean less and less and less as we get older and older and older and we see that time is shorter and then we realize there are spiritual values and spiritual things that are going to be forever and eternity and we'd like to be there. We'd, like, we'd rather have that in the future than the now. We'd rather have the future than have the present now. Are we willing to give up the things of this world for something better and something that is uh, more wholesome? Now. The second way that uh, the scriptures use uh, the world is as an age. I talked about that, an age, a time period. In Hebrews the 24th, uh, 2465 and in the Greek uh, Aeon number 165 shows and explains that this age, this time period is fleeting. It's a transient period. It's a very short time. And it can be, depending on the age, of man short period of time the age that is now or the age of God that will go on forever and through all eternity. Matthew the 24th chapter and verse 3 Matthew 24 3 as he sat upon the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately saying tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said, "Take no man deceive you." And he began to explain uh, what we call the Olivet prophecy. Well, in Hebrews the ninth chapter, verse uh, 26, let's turn there, Hebrews 9:26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to what it put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it appointed unto man, we explained this a couple of weeks ago, once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered for sins and he's going to come back to this earth again. In Hebrews the 6th chapter, back up to there, uh, in verse 5, Hebrews 6, 5. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And he goes on to more to explain that if, you know, people who have tasted a little bit of God and they fall away, that's a uh, troubling. That's a difficult thing to deal with. So we've got to stay faithful. We've got to be an overcomer. We've got to endure to the end. We've got to keep abiding in the truth. In Mark 10.30, he talks about the world to come. In Matthew 12.32, he talks about uh, this world is, that is going to come. And we talk about, many years ago, we used to have a uh, kind of a motto, kind of a phrase, the world tomorrow. Remember that? The radio program. Herbert W. Armstrong, the world tomorrow. Then they'd come the world of tomorrow. But we shortened that and we lived by, and we talked and we, we just went around the world tomorrow. Remember we talked about that, the con- contrast between this world today and the world tomorrow. This age is going to end, it's going to turn into a new age. Do we love this age as God does? Or is it the wrong kind of love? Are we willing to give up the things of this age and then inhabit, inherit the age to come? Which kind of love do we have? And I'm not just talking to us here as we understand in this congregation, in this room here. But those who are viewing the internet and maybe brand new persons who have never heard the gospel or never heard that they're going to have to make a decision at one time. And what is the course of their life now? Are they caught up and wrapped up in the society and the world and the things of this life? Or are those secondary in importance and significance? Or is our primary interest on God and His Word and His way and uh, being like Him and overcoming and growing and uh, preparing now for that age to come. The third way that we use this is, as I mentioned earlier, the Word, world, or cosmos, or society, the Greek word. means orderly arrangement, the decoration, the adornment, the wrong way, the inadvertent. Now John uses this word, the Apostle John used this word about 80 times. Uh, plus other writers use this and they describe it as this way. a world of iniquity, the present evil world, sin of this world, friendship of this world, filth of this world, the spirit of this world, the old world. Uh, contrasted with the new world. The ungodly and the worldly lusts of this world. We could go on and on in using a description of the cosmos. When we talk about the cosmos, we talk about the world, we talk about the society. Going out into the world, or leaving the world, or giving the world, or come out of the world. What does that mean, come out of the world? Does it mean, like Paul said, we have to leave this earth, leave this planet? Uh, We can't do that but we can come out of the society. We can give up those allurements, those adornments, those things that turn us from God and His ways. The word world or society is a way of doing things that are not of God and His will and His way. Those things that are going to perish, those things that are going to be temporary that uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on, but Paul showed that the things of this physical life are temporary, they're just temporal. They're going to be here. But the things of the Spirit, the character that we're developing. God as a spirit, and we as a spirit being, you see, the dead, the sinners, they're not going to be spirit. They're just going to be flesh and burn up and cease to exist. But the living, the eternal, the believing, the righteous, the sons of God, are going to be spirit, and spirit is eternal. It's going to be forever. And so... There's going to be a a choice that those folks are going to have to make at some time in this life or the life to come, as we understand it. At one point, everybody, everyone is going to make a decision. Either Jesus Christ and the Father and their way, or the commandments and the laws of God, or righteousness and love and all. You know, we could spend years and years talking about the ways of God, contrasted with the ways of man. And they're going to have to make that choice. Give up the ways of man and go the ways of God. In uh, John the 16th chapter, we can go there in John 17. Uh, I'm not going to look at all the references. There's 19 references in John the 17th chapter, but I'm not going to look at all of those. Uh, let's see John 16 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And this word world here is the Greek word cosmos. I've overcome the society. I've overcome the orderly arrangement, the adorning, the the human things of this earth. I've overcome all of that, and he expects us to be overcomers. In John, the 17th chapter, there are 19 references in here to the world, and he talks about, without going into the week, because we read this a lot of every year at the Passover time, about how he came out of the world, and he calls us out of the world. And we are not to be of the world, as he's not of the world. We are to be in the world but not of the world. We have to live and deal and, and work and exist in this world, don't we, in this society, on this planet, in this age, in the, all the things that the, that word world comprises. But we're not caught up in it. and We're not to be a part of it. And we're to be separate from it. That's, that's an important key word right there. throughout From Genesis to Revelation, the word separation occurs throughout all the way to showing that we're to separate ourselves from this world. We're to come out of it, beginning back in Genesis, all the way to Revelation. And it's an interesting concept and one that we can spend more time sometime uh, expanding on. But uh, our separation from the world occurs and gives us uh, some things to consider here. Number one is our witness. We show our disapproval of the evil by coming out of it, by separating it. You know, uh, sometimes family and friends and employers, they don't understand why we don't eat their food, their pork, you know. I went through this this week. A lady cooked up some uh, lasagna of some kind, and and she told me before, she said, now it's got sausage in it, because she knew, because other people had told her that I don't eat pork. And uh, so we had some interesting discussions and she was asking me about why and, and uh, she asked me if I was Jewish and it gave me a wonderful opportunity to explain that I was an Israelite, a Christian of the house of Israel and of the tribe of Joseph and of Manasseh and all of that. And how the like, Jews are just one tribe. Oh, I had a really nice time talking to her because <laughs> she put sausage in her lasagna and she mixed it up. And she told me about it, so I didn't eat any of it. I went out and got something else to eat. And uh, so uh, gave me a good opportunity to witness to her and uh, to give her. And, and she was receptive. I didn't, I didn't bore her. I didn't take an hour to tell her something she didn't want to hear. I just took a few minutes and intrigued her. And interesting, And wow, she said her, then she started telling me about her grandkids and their introduction to the Bible and the scriptures and and the, having just gone through all this stuff that they've just gone through, you know, Christmas and all that, okay. Uh, the second thing is that uh, it's a means of our protection, self-protection. You know, if you have a disease, then you're quarantined or you separate from others. Like if you have the flu, you stay home, stay out of, stay out of so you don't spread it. Well, that's the way that we are to be holy. We're to separate from this world. Look at it like it's a disease. And we come out of it. Now we've got to live in it. But we don't have to be of it. We, we drive a car. But that's not our God. We drive. We live in a house. But that's not, our, that's not our God. We have furniture. And if we have money and a job. And we have better things. And we can replace maybe a couch that's 30 years old. And we get a new one. Uh, what is our attitude and our motive in doing that? Is it? caught up in self self love or is it god's love of giving and serving and using and within and not abusing the things of this life all right what's wrong with the kind of love of this world leaving god and his way out of our life involvement in the world to the neglect of god furthering the interest of the world above god putting our plans pleasures above god following the customs, habits, practices, religions of this world instead of God, letting the adorning, the allurement, the benefit, the lights, the bright things, the sensual things interest us instead of God's ways, being under the devil's control instead of under God's control, unwilling to give up, to sacrifice this world for a better world to come. We want to hang on to the things of this world rather than Giving them up, counting them as just nothing looking for the glorious wonderful world. Now, the fourth way, I'm having to rush through here because of time. fourth way that uh, the scriptures use the word world is eternity. An expression of time out of mind, a perpetual, a, a state of always, long-lasting continuance. There are Words that express this that are translated in English that we lose the the meaning and significance of that. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes and uh, chapter uh, 3. You know, I already covered that in in another aspect. Uh, Let me see here if uh, I can go to uh, a couple of other references. Isaiah 64.4 For since the beginning of the world men have not heard nor perceived by the ear neither has the eye seen O God beside you what you have prepared for him that waits for you. Paul quotes this in the New Testament. We haven't seen fully what God has planned and prepared in the creation of this earth. What a wonderful Destiny awaits man. Go back to uh, uh, Isaiah, the 45th chapter, and verse 17, 45, 17, But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. So this word here is from the Hebrew word uh, from the number 5769, which is olam, out of mind, eternity, long lasting, without end. And that's the same word that is the Greek word aeon or age that we've been uh, talking about. Now, I left out Ecclesiastes because we had talked about that earlier. In uh, a couple of closing scriptures here, and and Brian doesn't have this to put up unless he wants to put up. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 7. Ephesians 2, 7. I just added this a little later. Ephesians 2, 7. That in the ages to come, this is the Greek word aeon, number 165. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we know that we have works of righteousness. We do righteousness. We we obey and we do things, and that shows our faith and our obedience. But we're not saved by doing those things. We're saved by our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ and what He did for us. Our belief in what He did for us is what saves us. But because we're saved, we do those righteousness and, and continue to walk in uh, holiness as he did. In um, closing, in 1 John, the second chapter, let's go there. 1 John, the second chapter. Verse 15. We talked about this earlier at the beginning. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we can judge ourselves and ask, where is my love? Is it like God's love? Or is it like everybody else's love? Is it the wrong kind of love, the selfish love? For all that is in the world and this word is uh, that we use here six times in these few verses is the word number 2089 cosmos, the orderly arrangement, the adorning, the world itself, the humans, the society, the things that we ordinarily look at as the, lirmat, the adorning, the decoration of the world. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so there's much more, and he goes into uh, a number of other scriptures. But I'm going to close here by just uh, reminding us briefly here. You've heard me say this time after time after time, so i just reiterate it in, in summary four basic ways that the word world or earth sometimes is translated in different uh, ways and different words but four ways is number one the planet or this globe that is the earth Eretz from the Hebrew the age which is aeon we We've talked about that the society the cosmos the society the third thing and the fourth thing is the eternity, the eternity, the present world is temporary. But the world tomorrow, the world of God, the age to come, the society to come, the life to come, the physical things that are transformed, those are to be eternal. And God tells us that those of us that do the will of God will abide forever. Then we'll have a new world. Won't that be wonderful? Then we will love that new world the way God loves it.